Listener Production. You don't always have to quit your day job to get what you want. And there are things that you can do to make your career smoother, better, more enjoyable, more fun, more fulfilling, to get more momentum. Most of the time, it's seizing that opportunity. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. In the age of the Great Resignation, the idea of quitting seems to be on everyone's lips. Some are calling the movement of people and attitudes to work the Great Reshuffle. Whatever it is, people are questioning their post-COVID lives and what it means to go to work, to be at work, and how to work. So when former Google and Twitter executive and senior advisor at Boston Consulting Group, Eliza Knox, wrote a book called Don't Quit Your Day Job, it felt counterintuitive. Her book outlines six essential mind shifts you need to thrive in your career whilst finding enjoyment in your life outside of work a hot topic when many people are contemplating a job change. Elisa has four decades of experience and she says you can have a career by caring for it and even balance work and personal life in a sustainable way. Elisa, thank you so much for coming on Fast Track today. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Margie. Hey, they also describe you as a mentor maven. What is that? I'm not sure... Uh, exactly what everybody means with mentor maven, but to me, it means somebody who is sought out a lot to give advice to a variety of people. I have two official mentees, a young Australian Olympian through the Minerva program and a young Afghan woman who is out of Kabul and in the US. So they're official. I spend a lot of time with them, but I go for coffees with almost anybody who asks. And it just do a little bit of advice giving, usually when they're at a turning point in their career or they're feeling stuck. So what's awesome is the rest of the world gets to have some advice giving from you through this great new book that you've written. What was it that after four decades of working inspired you to write Don't Quit Your Day Job? And what were you seeing in the world that you felt people needed this book? What inspired me was a decade and a half in tech where I realized that I'm not scalable. There's still only 24 hours a day. I've been applying for more with no success. <laughs> and I don't actually even like coffee. So to go for endless coffees is just never going to scale. And I thought, I have the time now. I should write all this down and see if I can help a few more people. I feel like most of the people I've met along the way, there are dozens of examples of them in the book, people from 22 to mid-60s, almost all nationalities, different industries, everything from academia to tech, they could have probably all succeeded without me. But it might be that a nugget that I shared with them helped accelerate their career or make their career progression easier for them. And so I wanted to go ahead and give that to everybody that I can. Awesome. Careers are really important to us, right? They're very much part of how we show up in the world. So what's the main premise in the book? What are you sharing for people with careers? What I'm trying to share is a way to have your lifetime career 
and life fulfilling, rewarding, and maybe even fun. I think it's a long time. I've been working for 40 years. I had an interesting interchange on the weekend where I asked somebody, are you still working? And her reply was, yes, I'm on boards. And I have been telling people, no, I'm not working. I'm on boards. So I'm not sure what the definition of work is, but to the extent that we're going to be in it for four decades, five decades, maybe longer, there's a lot of entrepreneurship or side hustle, but a lot of us spend most of our lives working in a larger organization, whether that's a hospital, the government, or a tech firm. And so I think this is the right time to to share with people maybe how to make that work for them, especially as the pandemic has moved to making people think a little bit about reprioritization. And don't quit your day job. What are you trying to tell us here? So I'm not really saying don't ever quit your day job. Uh, The subtitle is probably more important, which is six mind shifts to rise and thrive. What I'm trying to say is you don't always have to quit your day job to get what you want. And there are things that you can do to make your career smoother, better, more enjoyable, more fun, more fulfilling, to get more momentum. And those are the tips in the book. I do think sometimes you need to quit your day job. And I obviously didn't take my own advice because I stopped about a year and a half ago. But I meant in general, you don't have to. So what are the mind shifts that you speak of and why are they relevant for a career? Well, there are six of them, and I probably shouldn't give away too many on the show because then nobody (laughs) will want to read it. But um, I think a really important one for me is about nurturing your career as you would a partner. I think most of us who have ever been in any kind of love relationship or partnership, life partnership, have at some point heard the advice that you can't expect everything fulfilled by your partner. You can't have all your needs filled by another person, and you shouldn't expect that because it will put too many demands on the relationship and on them. But somehow, between the time I started working where it seemed to be, well, you just work because, you know, you got to pay a mortgage or pay your rent or buy some groceries, we went through a number of phases where we've added, we'd really like the career to be mission-driven. We'd like it to reflect all our passions. And I feel like maybe for a lot of people, they're putting too many demands on their career and they need to think about other things outside. Not that you have to grind it out. I think it would be really unpleasant to be somewhere where you, you know, Angela Duckworth talks about grit and that's great, but um, you also don't want to grind it out for decades. But I also think we might be putting too much demand on our careers. So like too much pressure to be perfect or to have the best career. Is that what you're talking about there? I think that's part of it. One example I gave, there's in each section, there's a bunch of power perspectives and under them tactics. And one of the things I've seen is people sometimes sabotaging themselves the way they think about their career. So I talked about a woman named Katrine who really wanted a promotion at her work and she wasn't getting it. So she did go to think about quitting her job, but she said she really, even if she got the other offer, she would rather have the promotion at her own firm. So I said, great, so what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to talk to the others, and then um, maybe they'll offer me a promotion because I'm leaving. I said, okay, so then what? She said, well, I really want the promotion, but I'm not going to take it if they just offer it because I'm leaving. And I said, well, that's kind of sabotaging yourself. You're the one in charge of your career. 
we had ascertained through prior conversations that the boss was probably not withholding the promotion because she wasn't good enough, but because he had some politics involved and there were other people who wanted promotions. And so, you know, my little bit of nugget for her was, why don't you just go ahead and see what happens? And if you can get that promotion for whatever reason, they're not going to give it to you if you don't deserve it, but you may have to accelerate it. And so in that sense, because she was able to focus on her career, what she wanted out of it, and not maybe all the reasons around it or what was her boss thinking, you know, she she went ahead. So elevating her thinking and her mind shift for the long-term nurturing of the career, not I won't if they do and, you know, playing that immediate game by the sounds of it. Yeah, and also keeping her eye on her prize. It's her career. It's what does she want, yeah. not why is she getting it. I'm not advocating anything illegal or unethical, but you may not have to worry about someone else's reason at that time. You need to worry about your career and your relationship with it. Somebody once said to me that if you invest in your career, that it is as valuable to you as investing in the stock market at the end of the day. It probably is. You know, I discovered a reader wrote in, and I hadn't known this, that Einstein has this formula, A equals X plus Y plus Z or Z, depending on where you are which is success equals work plus play plus keeping your mouth shut, which really meant, I think, not not saying anything, but listening. So even an amazing scientist from decades ago had this theory that you needed to have some elements of both to make your career a success. Okay, so tell me a bit more about that, this balance of nurturing our career and spending time with it, but actually having a fun and enjoyable life. Well, so I'm not sure... I know we talk about work-life balance a lot. I don't actually believe there's a balance. I think there might be some sort of coping. Balance suggests a seesaw to me, which means that it's win-lose. You know, you can't have both. But I do think people can pay attention to what they want out of their career. So I just wrote an article for Forbes about your life and your career on the same side. And I talk about a journalist named Sarah Clements who really wanted to be an investigative journalist, have really juicy topics like chemical plants near rivers and things that were terrible going on in the U.S. And so she did that for a while at these great small town newspapers, but she also really, really wanted to be in New York. Her family was there, her friends were there, and she decided that it was more important for her to be in New York than to have these amazing journalism jobs. So she took ultimately took a job for luxury real estate, which sounded so fluffy to her and so not important if you've had this altruistic view of what you're going to do with your journalism degree. Yeah. And yet, after about seven years, she worked her way through that job, got some editorial positions, and she's now the travel editor for the Wall Street Journal, which is something she absolutely loves. And she only got there through a variety of steps because she was willing to take whatever she could get in New York, and she prioritized that in her life over the actual jobs, and yet it got her to somewhere she wanted to be. And a slightly funnier story um, that I share in the book is that I myself was in New York after college and really wanted to swim. I didn't know how to do aerobics and uh, at the time, and there were no pools available. The only pool I could access, because they don't have a lot of big pools because there's not a lot of space in Manhattan, uh, there was a brand new pool at NYU in the village where I was living. But the only way to get into it was to go get a degree. And I had just finished university and I was in a bank training program. So taking more courses seemed 
terrible. But I did it. It was terrific because the bank um, funded it. I basically had gym with a lot of homework. My apartment smelled like chlorine. And when I applied for my first job in Australia, where I ended up coming here to work for the Boston Consulting Group, I got a job that I fell in love with, but didn't even know I wanted because I had an MBA. So this sense of almost being open to what's coming, having that mindset that says, what do I want in different parts of my life and making it sort of fit together as it comes along. I love these stories you're telling because they really resonate with me in terms of being open to the different opportunities that are placed before you, but also focusing on both what you want out of your life and out of your work at the same time. Have you got any other mind shift headlines that you can give us that might be useful? Another mind shift that I'm really fond of is connection trumps tech savvy, even in tech. Through the pandemic, tech has enabled us to do so many things we mightn't have in another age, working from home, being on video conferences, keeping in touch. So it's very powerful. But I think that these personal connections that you forge, they do three things. They help you get things done. As the companies get bigger and bigger, when you need to work across divisions or across geographies, everybody's got lots to do. They're all focused on their outcomes. I think they're all trying hard, and I think the best of most people, but they have to prioritize. If I've already met you, Margie, and you're asking me for a favor, might I respond to you before a request from somebody I've never met? I'd say it's likely. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is these connections are what help you get noticed, get visible, maybe get promoted. You've created some sponsors in your job, some people who like working with you, some people who feel that you deliver really well. And as they get to know you and see your work, they will do everything from possibly mentor you to uh, something that's even more important, which is sponsor or advocate Mm -hmm. so that it's, you know, I think Margie needs to be promoted this round. I know we have a lot of people up, but this is why. So sticking their neck out for you. And the third thing is, I think it just makes work more fun. As I said before, uh, I think decades is a long time to be in a place where you're not enjoying yourself. Everybody has different levels of social needs, but some most people have some sort of social need, and being able to be around people that you have formed some sort of bond with is great. So I have a good friend at Google, Bacheva Hirsch, who says, I don't take a meeting, I make a friend. Oh, wow. So tech's got a really bad reputation for digitizing everything and minimizing connection. So you're saying even in tech, connection is super important. I think so. Okay. When you're the experienced one in some of the most advanced tech places in the world. All right. So, Elisa, many people believe that it's impossible to have a great career and personal life. You've talked about a couple of examples there. Are there any sort of further tips on how we can have the two rather than just thinking about it's possible. What are some of the the tips? Just be open or is there something else? I definitely think being open is great. There's a great book that two women in England wrote called Your Squiggly Career, which I think is especially important for younger people now who think, gee, maybe, you know, this is what I'm going to do and I'm on a linear path or a stepwise path to this top job or this expertise. And actually you find that I don't think careers work like that anymore. 
And I think it's really hard to predict what you might want to do. In my case, I had this great sort of pivot into tech and Google, Twitter, Cloudflare didn't exist when I came out of university. So how would I know that that's what I wanted to do? So I think being open is very important. I think a second part that goes with that openness is something around what I would call serendipity. I'm still waiting for that serendipity moment that Kate Moss apparently had in an airport where somebody walked up to her and said, do you want to be, you know, a model? Supermodel, yeah. yeah. But I think there is a serendipity that is opportunity plus action. So in my case, uh, the way I got into tech, I was at in financial services and consulting for a long time. I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. Through my financial services job at Visa, I met Vint Cerf, who is one of the real founders of the internet. And I thought I'd be a bit audacious. I hadn't thought at that point I'm going to switch into tech. I mean, I was seeing a lot written about it, but I hadn't really had any plans. But then I met him as an individual and I thought, you know what, I can ask him. So I wrote my appropriate thank you note for work. And then somewhat audaciously around the side, I sent another thank you note for my personal email saying, Vint, you know, I understand if you feel it's inappropriate, but just in case, I'd be interested, would Google ever hire anybody like me? And that's what led ultimately to my working in tech. So that kind of being open to something, thinking about it when you have that opportunity, but also acting on it. You know, I don't think things are going to just happen to you. Very occasionally they do, you know, someone picks you out to be a model or to be a tech exec, but most of the time it's seizing that opportunity. Yeah. And there's another young man who came to Cloudflare as a marketing intern because he had a marketing degree. And as he sat there, he thought, you know, I really prefer what the solutions engineers do, the technical side of sales. And he said, well, I'd like to be a solutions engineer. And we said, well, you don't have the background. And he said, well, what do I need to do? And we said, this is the kind of test you have to pass. And he said, well, I I like tech a lot. I'm going to teach myself. And he did. You know, he was open to it. He saw it around him. He taught himself. He passed the test. And so while he started as a marketing intern, he now works as a solutions engineer. Yeah. And I think they call it pathways thinking in psychology, this idea of multiple pathways to an end goal, but we often don't know what that end goal is. We have to be open to that. Uh, My own story is that when I came back from a career break in my 20s, I did a radio course because I thought I wanted my own radio show. Well, I didn't for a long time. I ran the comedy festival and then am now CEO of my own consultancy. And fast forward 20 plus years and here I am podcasting and loving it. So it's this full circle. I really relate to that idea of being open to the synergies in in our lives. So we know that many people are contemplating a job change at the moment. I thought your book title was really amazing at this stage because I hear people saying, you know, I, I want to change my career, but stamina is essential to the longevity in a career and being able to see the big picture and rising above the low points. Can you give us some practical strategies for dealing with those career stumbling blocks, Elisa, like difficult bosses or unfair dismissals or feeling like you're stuck in a job that doesn't challenge you anymore? So I think those are three very different things. I see why you've put them together. But for the unfair dismissals, and I say this in the book as well, you need legal and HR experts. The only thing that I think in my sort of mentor maven role that I can add to that is you need to fight back enough when wronged to feel you have some agency over your life and your career and not let the situation completely demoralize you. I think that's what I've seen with people. 
you know, often if you feel you've been wronged in a company, it's the last place you want to stay. But maybe you want to fight back enough to recoup some of your benefits or just to feel that you have some control. I think Mm -hmm. that gives you stamina. For difficult bosses, I think there are many things you can do. There's an example in the book of a young female engineer named Kathy who works for a huge tech firm, did two summers there. They loved her, hired her full-time. First three months were great. All of a sudden, she had a new manager, miserable. He's quite demoralizing. She went to HR, couldn't get it resolved. So she called me and said, you know, I'm going to have to leave. And I said, I don't think you have to leave. This company you work for is quite large. She's like, my reputation's ruined. I said, it's not ruined. You're in this little group. Let's think about it. Do you have any other advocates? Do you know anybody else? You know, what about those people who had you work for them the first two summers? So, yeah, you know, I'm embarrassed to go back to them. I I said, don't be embarrassed. They're your fans. So she had those two people, and then she had met the chief product officer who was umpteen levels above her, but she had found a personal connection with him at some office party. So she went to all three of them and said, I really like this company. I really want to stay here, but I'm not in a situation where I can manage with my boss. And out of that conversation, which she was pretty scared to have, she's 23 or 24, felt like it was too audacious of her. She got two other offers in that big company. She's taken one of them. She loves it. She's happy again at work. So sometimes in a smaller place or, you know, maybe you won't be able to have that kind of outcome and it is time to quit, but I think there are ways to deal with it even after you've exhausted the conversations with your boss and with HR. Now, if you're in a job that no longer challenges you, I think the keys are to see what else is out there. Is there anything better? One of the most important things, I think, to remind yourself, there are always options. So many times people feel stuck, but really, really, there are almost always options. And you can figure out what those are by going out and doing what I call job dating, you know, meeting other people, talking about their jobs. You can build a personal board of directors, which I talk a lot about in the book, sort of the way a corporate does, people with different experience, uh, maybe different views whom you can call upon to ask about your career. And you can do something that has been written about a lot lately called job crafting. So in the book, I give an example of Tim Liu, who doesn't want to leave Singapore, is focused mostly on China, doesn't want to move to China or Hong Kong, is really reasonably senior in his firm, so hasn't been able to figure out another place to go and feels sort of stuck, but he likes where he is. And so he he doesn't want to leave, but he does feel a bit stuck. So he went to his manager and said, I want to do some job crafting. I don't know if he called it that, but that's the you know hashtag word that people are using. And they said, okay, well, what do you like besides sales and marketing? He said, I really want to learn about government relations, and I really want to learn about business development. And so for a while, until there was something else that was interesting for him in the firm, he was able to do some new projects, if you will, and learn some new things in his current role and make his job interesting for himself that way. All fantastic examples. And what I love is the sense of responsibility that sits with the individual to actually think about their career and what they want and then do the action, which you're promoting right throughout the book with these examples. Really fantastic. So you talk about success depending not just on hard work, but also on our ability to build and maintain these connections and relationships throughout career. We've spoken on connections important. Why is this important, the long-term relationships over the period of a career? 
So I think the relationships might change a bit over the period of the career. For example, if you build a personal board of directors, that may morph over time. You may want advice from some people in your 20s who, as you change careers or, you know, think about a different industry, are no longer relevant. And since most boards of directors don't really know, you don't have to tell them that you're kicking them off your board. You just see them less and see uh-huh. someone else. Yeah. But I also think the relationships have a lot to do, particularly in um, apprenticeship kind of careers. So I think one of the issues right now is that the pandemic has given us a lot of benefits, more flexibility, maybe some impetus to reprioritize. And I think employees, frankly, have more leverage today than they've had for a long time. Whether or not the Great Resignation is as big in Australia as it is in the U.S., it's a tight job market. But some professions are very dependent on, I think, apprenticeship and relationships with other people. So I know someone who's head of a large law firm who feels that they have a lost generation of young attorneys because in the office, the way things work, no young attorney will ask a senior partner, could I have a half an hour video call with you to ask about this piece of work I've just done? But they might, if they pass them in the kitchen, say, oh, um, David, I just I just did this um, bit of litigation background for you. Is this Is this what you like or is this how it works? So that's gone right now. Mm. Um, And that's also true of careers, I think, some architecture. I've heard about this in management consulting, where the senior people are saying to the people who've just come in, you know, you're not where we would expect at six months. And it's your whole class that's not where we would expect. And that's because the partners and the next level down are quite happy to be at home, either in their beautiful offices or with their young kids. But the more junior people who are trying to learn haven't been able to get this training or build these relationships yet. So I do fear that a lot of what's happened during COVID is we've drawn down on the social capital, but eventually we have to rebuild it. And I worked with a group the other week and our question was, how do we build social capital in a volatile and virtual world? And it is it is difficult, but we need to work that muscle, don't we? And understand that relationships are for the long term and super important for us. I really love that point. So do you have any last tips on mind shifts for rising and thriving at work? I think if I had one bit of advice based on, I suppose, when most people come to talk to me, which is facing an obstacle or, you know, a, a difficult point in their career, I usually say, this is a blip. See everything as a long game. And that goes to two of the mind shifts we've talked about. One is stamina is a muscle and you need to build it. And two is your relationship with your career is long-term and you need to nurture it the way you would with a partner. I love that. It's only a blip. This is a long game. So careers are a long game. Don't quit your day job. I have to say, Elisa, thank you so much for sharing just a few of the many tips that you've got for us in your book, Don't Quit Your Day Job. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Nikki Sitch. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.